Perfect. Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Welcome to the London School of Economics. First thing to say, I am not Tony Travers. <laughs> and uh, Tony, unfortunately, cannot be with us tonight, so he's asked me to chair. I was going to be one of the speakers. My name is Ricky Burdett. So since we only have one hour, it's probably best to do it this way and concentrate <laughs> the time. So I will moderate the evening. As I say, I'm Ricky Burdett, and I'm director of a research center called LSE Cities, which is hosting tonight's event. Uh, the event is called Shaping London, and it's one of the many events which are happening uh, this week. In fact, started yesterday, goes on through Saturday and through the rest of the year of the LSE Festival. That's a sort of outreach event, which includes, of course, a lot of students and staff here, but is also very much directed to people outside this institution. And the basic concept of this festival, in this case, which is called Shaping the World, is to explore how social science actually does make the world a better place. So it's a very generic theme of which uh, there are discussions about politics, about uh, identity, about populism, and tonight about London. Uh, the session will last for an hour precisely. We are having to end at 7 o'clock because there's another event which follows, follows on from here. Um, we have short presentations by the three people I'm going to introduce, but Georgia Gould, Mohammed Bhatt, and Amika Dal. And then uh, we'll have a discussion uh, around the table there. We will have some time at the end for questions and answers. When we get to that, can we please use the LSE uh, technique of making sure that you don't go on for a long, long time and make a statement, uh, ask a question, Please wait for the microphone to come to you. Uh, it would be good to know who you are. Just tell us who you are. If you want, stand up. It's good because then people can see where you're speaking from. Um, and the event is uh, going to be recorded, so bear that in mind. And it will 95% uh, uh, be available on podcast. Please keep your phones uh, uh, off sound. Uh, don't have the ringtone on and uh, the Twitter hashtag, etc., you will already know. So let me uh, come immediately to the scope and the theme of the evening. I think, actually, if you think of the theme shaping the world, there are very, very few cities where you can take exactly that theme and equate it with the city, London, in terms of actually looking at global dynamics, in terms of multiculturalism, in terms of global economy, in terms of global reach, Obviously, London has a particular sort of physiognomy which we'll hear more about. And we should also remember that being a global city, it's also a rather messy, organic, and actually very low-density city compared to the New Yorks of this world, the Hong Kongs of this world, or Tokyo. So this issue of growth, which is what we're going to address, is something which has a particular issue around the DNA. So what we're going to talk about is how to accommodate growth and how we're shaping, or actually in many ways reshaping London. And the people we have here tonight are absolutely the right people to talk about that. Just a couple of uh, statistics for context to remind ourselves that um, London, whatever the own goal of Brexit is doing uh, to us or to our economy, will continue to grow. Uh, the estimates now are that by 2041 it will grow from roughly just under 9 million where we are now to roughly something like 10.8 million, so nearly 11 million people by 2040. That's something like 70,000 new people coming into the city every year from now on. 
So that's what has to be uh, managed uh, and try to keep the DNA of London and its personality there. So to dig deeper, we have some protagonists here. We have the leaders of Camden and the leader of Brent, two boroughs, uh, which together, uh, Camden around 260,000 and um, uh, Brent around 330,000, have the population of the size of a city like uh, Bristol or Glasgow, big cities. So, you know, these are two boroughs which uh, are very much part of the sort of dynamic of what Europe and what the future of the UK actually means. Uh, Camden, interestingly, starts literally outside our front door. So Georgia is in charge. Uh, we're in her borough. But if you turned right, we'd end up in Westminster. And it goes all the way up to um, the leafy uh, edges of Hampstead and everything else. It's very diverse. It has big chunks of central London. It's got three of Europe's busiest stations, St. Pancras, King's Cross, and Euston, which we'll hear certainly more about. Brent is an outer borough. Um, which oh, London Borough, which actually comes inwards. It, it, it kisses Camden, in fact, you said, on Kilburn High Road. They two touch. I don't know how much they talk, but they touch. We do. Um, and it's, uh, it's an important moment for um, this borough because it's actually just started at the beginning of this year as being the London 2020 Borough of Culture. They are both facing massive transformations. Uh, I'm going to use two examples, Wembley Park, um, 8,000 homes in the middle of the borough, or the HS2 major uh, railway development, which is now being given the green light and will be ending up in Euston. So very different physiognomies, but maybe the leaders have very common issues. We're going to start with Mo, uh, then ask Georgia to speak each for about 10, 15 minutes maximum. Uh, I will then ask Amica to comment on some of the um, issues that have been raised, and we, as I say, will have a discussion there. I'll introduce all three very quickly and then pass uh, the baton to Mo. Um, Mo was first elected as the Labour leader of the council in May 2012. He's lived in Brent all his life, so he knows everything about it. He was schooled there, he was educated there, and lived there. And he's represented his home uh, ward since uh, 2006, so for a long time been very active. Uh, Georgia was appointed the Labour leader also of the Camden Council in May 2017, so relative newcomer, uh, and very important fact to say of her life, she has a master's degree from the London School of Economics. <laughs> very, very important. And at the age of 24, she was elected councillor of the Kentish Town Ward of, in Camden, uh, where a number of us, in fact, live. So I don't, I'm sure I voted for you. Uh, Amica is an architect who works with an extraordinary collective. Many of you will be familiar with Assemble. Many of you won't. Uh, it's um, a team that works in tough inner city sites across the UK, London. Liverpool, in fact, was also shortlisted for the Turner Prize a number of years ago for the work that they've actually been doing there. So that's the context. The discussion is about the shape, the shaping of London, and we're going to start and, uh, with Mo. So could you please welcome uh, Mo Butt. Thank you. Uh, 
Uh, okay, uh, good evening everyone. Uh, Ricky, thank you very much for your kind introduction and, and thank you for all of you guys uh, for, for giving me the opportunity to, to address you guys here today and, and uh, I hope you've all washed your hands today as well. And um, uh, as Ricky said, uh, I'm the, the leader of Brent Councillor uh, and uh, I've been in, uh, in Brent, honestly, my whole life. Uh, I was born there, I've been schooled there, I've uh, educated there, uh, I've had businesses there, uh, I've, uh, uh, my family's there, uh, and my whole life just revolves around the, the, the London, London Borough of Brent. And where is London Borough of Brent in, in the context of, of London? The green bit, the top bit, right? that, that's where we are. It's, it's northwest of, of, of London. And uh, as Ricky said, right, uh, uh, Brent and Camden, we, we, we border each other. Uh, and uh, and but because we border each other, we do have to work together because right, we have so many synergies. Right, and it absolutely makes sense right, for, for bo both of us to, to, uh, to work together. Uh, um, uh, I'm not going to take too much time. I think, I, I think it's more about how we interact and take the questions and, uh, and have conversations amongst ourselves. Um, <clears throat> Uh, Brent is, is made up of 21 wards, and, uh, and, the, and, the, and the ward that I, 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 I want to talk about is Tokington now, because that, that's the ward uh, where we have uh, uh, the most amount of growth actually taking place, and, uh, and we're, we're, we're doing that. Uh, with, uh, with our partners, uh, uh, Quintain, uh, uh, um, known as Wembley Park as well, who are, are the developers who, 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 who saw something in, in that locality in a, around early 2000. Uh, and they managed to uh, um, purchase the sites uh, in there, and they, and they started the conversations uh, with Brent Council as to what the potential was uh, in relation to that. And obviously, right, we have to work right, with, with our residents who actually who, who, who live around there as well. But just to give you sort of a, an indication of how different uh, 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 Brent can be, if um, Stonebridge. Uh, and the, the Halsden are two of the most deprived wards that we have in Brent. Right? So, so the average wages there right, uh, can be as low as £18,000 a year per annum right, for an individual who, who lives in those two wards. But if you go to Queen's Park at the bottom, right, uh, uh, which comes further in, into town, right, the average wages there are, are in the region of about 44000 So there's a lot of disparity. Uh, and so, so we, we have to work uh, um, uh, to make sure uh, we're taking all our communities with us. Right? Um, Ricky said we have 330,000 people. Right? Uh, that, that, uh, that is the, the current estimated population. Over the, over the next 10, 10, 15 years, right, we're looking to have an increase of about another 20,000 people coming in there. Uh, so, so we do need to make sure right, we're utilizing right, the, the, the resources we have in Brent uh, to actually build the, the, the community spaces, the homes, uh, the uh, uh, um, um, workspaces, businesses uh, that, that people actually need uh, to, to, to have productive, fruitful lives. Um, uh, another thing is, uh, um, uh, um, if, you, if you go from uh, Friant, uh, Welsh Harp, right, you have large, large streets, open spaces, parks, uh, um, uh, 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 um, a lot of um, open spaces as such but then if, uh, 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 as you come further down into, into say Wembley Central or Alberton right, it becomes quite condensed I say it's, it, it's, it, it's, it, it is a tale of two cities as, as, the, as they say uh, uh, <clears throat> And we need to make sure we're managing and, and, and uh, taking people with us, uh, which, which isn't, isn't easy. 
Uh, talking about uh, Quintain, Wembley Park, uh, the, the, this is uh, the, the stadium that sits in the centre of, uh, uh, of Brent, of Wembley. Uh, it's a, uh, the, the most iconic building there is as well. We also have Wembley Arena. Uh, uh, and this is what it looked like uh, when we first started the regeneration of, of Wembley. Uh, some, just to give you some statistics about Wembley, when we used to have the old Wembley, the, the, the old workspaces, uh, um, there were no more than about 250, 300, 300, 300 people employed in that whole locality. Uh, all it used to be low-rise warehouses, right, uh, just pro uh, providing, uh, um, you, you know, um, packages, all these kind of stuff. Right, it, it, it wasn't being utilised to, to, to its full potential. Uh, uh, since uh, since Quintain came in and, and started the conversation with the with the council, uh, the the, uh, the opportunity was seen. Uh, there, there, there was an opportunity to take a look at uh, so, so some of the, the wasteland. It, it wasn't being utilised. Right? So, so it, it, for us, when the population is increasing uh, and there is demand for, for, for work, for homes uh, and, and uh, shopping, uh, the opportunity had to be taken. The, the, the corner there, uh, the, the, those space, car parking spaces for up to you know, 8,000 cars just for the stadium. It did not make sense uh, to have all, all this infrastructure that was only utilised on, on about 30 days, 35, 36 days in a year. Uh, uh, so, uh, as I said, fast forward now. This is where we are now. Uh, uh, this is what it looks like uh, uh, once it's all finished and then the next five, six years. Is that, is that right, James? I hope. Five, six years. Okay. Uh, um, uh, we, we hope uh, the, the aspirations are that we will have a, a, a city within a city as such. Right? And it, it's about creating a destination, creating a place where people can have, have hope, can have uh, aspiration. Uh, and so it's about lifting those individuals uh, and, and giving them so, so, so some of the ambitions that we want for ourselves. Right? How can we utilize this uh, to, uh, to, to maximize the opportunities? Uh, we're looking about uh, over 8,000 um, uh, uh, 8, jobs, uh, uh, workspaces, uh, retail opportunities, uh, and so much more. And the, and, the amount, uh, and, and the amount of open spaces that are being created in there as well. Uh, uh, is, is going to be ho hopefully uh, award-winning as we go forward. Um, <clears throat> and how do we take the, um, the young people uh, forward with us? Uh, uh, Ricky mentioned right, uh, uh, that Brent has now been uh, awarded the, uh, the, the status of the, the Borough of Culture for 2020 by the Mayor of London. Uh, uh, and that, that gives us an opportunity, I think, right, to, to use, utilise the, the, the 330,000 people who live, work, reside, play, uh, and, and come to visit Brent uh, uh, as an opportunity to, uh, to actually move things further along in a, in a, in a better way. 330,000 people, right, 180 different languages. Uh, we, we have communities from every continent living in Brent. Now, how do we harness that capital of those individuals right, who have come into Brent, come into London, right, to make Brent their home. Right? And the, the Borough of Culture is about making sure that it, it's, we harness that energy, right, but, but we also create the opportunities and the spaces for, for those individuals to enjoy. But I want every single one of you to, be, to come into Brent, to come into Wembley and, and, and enjoy the, 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 the diversity that we're creating through the, uh, uh, the regeneration of Wembley Park. 
seen and heard. <clears throat> it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's something that we're working with the LSE. Right? Uh, we're hoping to launch it in April. Right? And, and this is how do we make sure that, that, that the spaces that we create are actually inviting to young people. Right? Because a lot, of, a lot of spaces are not open to young people. We, we, we create barriers and obstacles uh, for young people not to be there. Well, in Brent, right, when, when 25 to 30% of the population are young people, Right? It's imperative, it's Im absolutely imperative that young people are, 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 are part and parcel of what we do. Right? Because if, if we don't create the opportunities for young people to, 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 to lift, their, uh, lift their eyes, lift their vision, and, and look at what's in, in front of them, how, how will we create a society where people <clears throat> want to improve, their, improve themselves and improve the lives of, of, of those individuals? Uh, we've had young people uh, working with us uh, uh, and coming up with the ideas, the visions, the, and, 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 uh, uh, <clears throat> and, the, and the plans to create those open spaces. Uh, uh, once we launch it in April, I pr promise you, right, you, you will see how much work has actually gone in there to create uh, the, the, a space where young people are actually valued, right, that, that, that they feel safe. Right, and they want to participate in, uh, in, in, in society, but also in, also in civic society. <clears throat> okay, housing. It's, it's, it's a, always a difficult thing, isn't it? Right? And they, in Brent, we, we've been set targets of just over 15,000. Uh, we, we did challenge those numbers, because uh, we, we do think some, some of those numbers are quite high. Uh, and it does, uh, um, you know, place a, a, a quite you, significant. You've been set by the mayor, right? Yes. Maybe explain. Uh, that, yeah. the, the mayor of London uh, sets targets uh, for each of each, each of the London boroughs, and uh, uh, and uh, the, the, uh, as I said, he, he set us over the uh, up to 20, 20, 25, uh, the, 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 that number of fifteen thousand, uh, and going forward, he wanted the, the similar numbers going forward. Uh, and uh, he also wanted us to increase the number of uh, the, the amount of space we have for for workspaces, strategic industrial land as well. Well, it's 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 it's, it's, it's an imbalance, right? But we can't do both. We can't increase the number of houses and then 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 try to increase the the, the number of workspace uh, spaces as well. So fifteen thousand that that fifteen thousand is now in the region of just over twelve thousand, which I think is absolutely achievable. Uh, 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 we, we do have other opportunities across Brent that we're working working with, uh, and uh, that, that 15,000 number uh, is, uh, will cause us more problems going forward. Forward, um, we were just talking about um, uh, the, the increase in population, and that has meant uh, that we've had to have a review of the boundary uh, of the boundaries within Brent, and. Uh, we are now creating 22 wards, uh, so, so that, that's just going through Parliament. Uh, we're creating two member wards, and, and the ward where uh, uh, Quintain and Gwembley Park is, um, is um, uh, Tokington, is going to be split into two. Uh, it's going to be, it'll be called Gwembley Park, and then the, the other part will be called uh, Tokington. Uh, this is just because of the, 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 the number of people that we have coming into the borough. 
Uh, you can see that the, 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 the numbers of, uh, of uh, housing targets that, that other boroughs are being, being set, uh, they, they, they won't be easy to achieve. Uh, um, it, I mean, Barking and Dagenham, uh, I think, that they're slightly further afield, right? Is the, is the infrastructure in place for them, right? So, so, it's, so many factors have to be taken into account. It's not just about numbers. It has to be about people. It has to be about creating a place. It has to be creating space. Uh, it's not, uh, as I said, not about numbers. Even though I think most of us will be able to achieve number, those numbers. And I will leave it there. Thank you. So, in the end, growth is good for you. Uh, growth is absolutely amazing for us uh, because uh, uh, the, the, uh, in Brent we've lost about 174 million pounds worth of funding in the last 10 years. Uh, but, but the growth that we have had, have had just from the, the housing opportunities right, uh, has meant that we have an extra 12 million pounds coming in. From, uh, for, uh, from council tax, but that 12 million pound obviously will never replace the 174 million pound that we've lost. But it's a buffer to provide the services that people actually depend upon as well, uh, and it's, it's created homes and opportunities for people uh, in, in spaces where there was nothing. Okay, we'll come back to that, Georgia. Yeah. Um... Well, I'm, as, as Mo said, we are good friends, or at least we were till this morning. I said to him, oh, I'm not going to have any slides tonight. Um, and then he turns up here with, with a slide, with a big kind of rent kind of coming out in big, um, big bright green overpowering Camden. But aside from that, I, I forgive him. Um, so we're here um, in, at the edge of Camden, but also in one of the world's foremost knowledge districts. So this little area um, in a square mile um, of, of King's Cross, and it, and it goes right down to the LSE, um, is seeing some of the fastest growth in technology and biomedical sciences, uh, in the creative industries in the world. Um, and we are now creating here 1.6% of a national UK GVA, which is more than Birmingham and Manchester put together. So the growth is exceptional, um, and it's, it's based on some kind of world-leading institutions we've had here for a long time, some of our universities, um, uh, we stand in one of them, uh, but also the British Museum, the British Library, but newer institutions like the Francis Crick uh, Centre, and some of the private companies that have come in, so Google have based their EU headquarters in the heart of a new King's Cross development, Facebook have moved into the borough. So, so the growth we've seen is enormous. Um, and, and the job creation that, that comes with that. But they're coming into a place that already has a strong identity. In the Citizens' Assembly we did a year ago, uh, people talked about what they loved about Camden. It's a place that, that has a huge radical history, and Camden we like to call it our rebellious spirit. We were the heart of some of the big social movements, the anti-racist movement, the LGBT plus movement. Um, in this borough. Uh, we also, as we heard at the beginning, are a kind of melting pot where, where you know, the gateway from a lot of the north of England, but also uh, now from, from Europe, where, where people from many different parts of the world make their home, but also form one community um, that, that has a place that means something. And I remember talking to some young men of Somali heritage, and they, they talked about how they had a complex, multifaceted identity where 
they felt Muslim and British and European, but most of all that they felt Camden, and that resonated with me because I grew up in Camden, like Mo grew up in Brent, and, and most of all I do feel feel Camden, and I I believe it is a place that that has a heart, that that has a a, a soul, that that. Uh, has, has a meaning to, to live there and many residents do feel that whether they grew up there like me or, or, they've, or they've made their, their home there um, but it is a place that as I've said has, has seen amount, a huge amount of change but also has deep poverty so next to all of that growth that I was just talking about we have some of the, the poorest communities not just in London but in the UK so Summers Town and Regent's Park which sit around Euston Station uh, and King's Cross uh, are both uh, areas with huge deprivation and deprivation that hasn't moved at the rate of growth we've seen. So Somerstown has had a 10-year lower life expectancy than Hampstead, also in my borough, uh, for as long as I can remember. And we have deep issues there of, of poverty, uh, uh, lack of access to employment in, in our borough over... The, the last year we've lost eight young people to knife crime and when you talk to young people about how it feels areas that uh, many people would just walk through freely um, are, are places of terror for them because if they walk over the wrong boundary they're scared of violence and so all of that is existing right next to enormous um, uh, wealth and, and growth and that in itself can be deeply alienating. So when, I, when we talk to our residents, they can talk about feeling like an island of poverty in between glass. Um, I remember a, a young woman we talked to who we were working with uh, around a project about Euston um, talked about not wanting to look out of her bedroom window and see new communities spring up that, that don't offer anything for them. And that's despite a huge amount of work we've done as a, as a council to, to try and make development work for our local community. So people probably know King's Cross development, um, which, you know, in many ways is a huge <coughs> success. I remember when I was growing up in Camden, you know, we would only go to that part of King's Cross to kind of sneak out to a club that, um, that my mum wouldn't let me go to because there wasn't anything there. And now is an amazing place. But, and, you know, we've managed to create a thousand jobs for local people. There's um, new social housing, but still many people don't feel it's for them. And the negative impact of development can be huge in terms of poor air quality, displacing um, some antisocial behavior, um, and pushing problems onto estates and communities. So for us, there has to be a step change in, in how we support communities. It's not acceptable for me, for, for anyone in Camden, not to have uh, access to world-class opportunities, because there are world-class opportunities on on their doorstep and my big fear for my community is that um, increasingly we will see that kind of demographic change and the, and the residents that have made their home there are unable to afford to live there anymore and we're starting to see some of that so we've seen a sharp decrease in children in the borough partly because the, the private rented sector market has changed, um, the increase in short term lets, um, is the owner occupier homes are much more expensive and so the diversity is really held by social housing and council housing, which we've been really trying to protect. So I want to talk a little bit about what we're trying to do to, to address this as a council and what levers we have. And the first is, is what we call our community investment programme. So I became a councillor in, in 2010, uh, full of hope and, um, and uh, 
joy about being elected just when we were a Labour councillor, just when we lost, we lost. Um, nationally. And what, one of the decisions that came with that around the austerity was a cut in, in grants for council housing. So we, need, we knew we needed to invest in council housing because we you know, have huge waiting lists, massive issues of overcrowding, but that, that money uh, was reduced to almost nothing. And at the same time, we, we lost what was called Building Schools for the Future, which was a big investment programme in schools. So we, as Camden, looked at the borough and said, well, we are going to develop ourselves. We're going to develop some private housing and use the proceeds of that to build new council housing. And so the, the programme will deliver 1,000 new council homes built, built and paid for uh, by, by Camden Council. Uh, we've delivered almost 400 so far, and we're prioritising family-sized homes precisely because of the, the issues um, I've talked about. Um, and as our own developer, we can, we can lead that with our community. So we employ local people on those estates to design and manage that process from start to finish. We've currently got a ballot going on in one of our estates and, and residents will decide if they want that uh, to, to go ahead or not. And as kind of time has gone on, we've, we've kind of grown that programme. We've added uh, something called Camden Living, which is an intermediate uh, rent uh, product, which has predominantly ended up going to key workers and the children of tenants because the, the, the young people that I grew up with in Camden are increasingly forced far away from the borough. I think what we've learned through that programme, and it's been going on since 2010 and grown, and we've you know, built some beautiful housing. If you're, if you're ever up for a walk and you're near here, you can go to Bourne Estate, which um, has won Reba Awards for the architecture, uh, the new council housing there. Um, we built the largest passive house scheme in the country, uh, at Agar Grove, which passive house, it took me a long time to learn how to say that, is, a, is an incredibly environmental um, building method, which, which in the end um, means residents have to pay less in, in fuel bills. So we, we, we've learned a huge amount from doing it. And I think the most important thing is, is Mo alluded to as well, that you have to think about place. Because residents don't just want a home, they desperately need a home, but they want green space, they want a community, they want uh, an investment in, in local schools, they want to, to feel that they live in a place that is connected and, and has meaning. So it's not just about uh, delivering a home, but quality design um, that they have a stake in. And if you don't do that, then people just won't support that development um, uh, in, in their local area. And you can only do it, I think, if it's, if it's with communities. And then the, the other two things I just want to touch on is, so where we're not developing ourselves, so it's, we obviously need to try and influence the, the different developers that come into, into the borough. And we're trying to do that in lots of ways, but we talked a little bit about Euston earlier. And Euston, for me, is critical um, because it's, it's right in the middle of Regent's Park and Summerstown. It's an enormous development in the heart of two hugely deprived communities, and it's going to take 20 years. So they're going to live through the negative impact of that development for 20 years. Um, and so if it doesn't really deliver for those communities, in a transformative way, if each and every one of them don't have a stake in it, then the whole project, in, in my view, will have failed. Um, so we started with a citizens' assembly, which is, um, which is bringing together a diverse 
group of, of our residents to set the terms for that development, to help us decide what we wanted to ask for in planning. And it's been a really powerful process because in a borough like Camden you have lots of activists who have a huge amount to contribute and they're really important. But you also have people whose, whose voices are never heard. And I remember in one of the citizens' assemblies somebody got up and said, I'm only here for the voucher, but it turned out to be the best thing I ever did. And I was like, yes, because somebody who's only here for the voucher is sometimes who you need, people who would not usually engage in, in a council process. Younger people, uh, people uh, who, who can't afford to take a night off and, and come to that kind of assembly unless they're, they're supported. Um, so they told us what is important from that development, and that is what has set our our planning framework and we're working with the master development partner who's been put in place to, to look at um, a, a well-being index for the area which is led by citizen scientists so we will know if their well-being changes negatively or positively as a result um, of a development that is going on around them and I'm trying to bring together some of the big institutions to, to set up a community wealth fund to really give people an economic uh, stake in what's happening which leads me on to the, the final point is we're increasingly focused on uh, um, trying to promote an inclusive economy not just redistributing the process, proceeds of growth but trying to, to change the economy around us and that means changing big institutions and, and companies that have made their home in our borough. Um, uh, we, we're, we're doing that in a number of ways, and I can talk about it in a bit more detail, but one includes a, a STEAM commission, which is um, ensuring that all of the, the big companies are working with our young people to make sure that they have the skills to, to get jobs into those companies so they're not just walking past them and, and on their way to school, but actually that they're places that they know, that they feel confident um, to work in, and that they will eventually have opportunities. We've invested five million into um, an inclusive um, employment program, which is about working with those companies to change their recruitment processes so they are actually finding local people, but also having uh, relational job coaches in our communities to support people into the opportunities on their doorstep. Uh, we're trialing a universal basic services um, approach, which is uh, looking at whether we can uh, fund travel, uh, data, childcare, uh, to, to support people to economically and to get the opportunities in, in our areas. Um, and we want increasingly for our residents to, to be able to choose and, and, and shape the demands for the, the companies that, that are coming into, into Camden. We're doing this with the levers we have. We, we'd love to have more power. To, um, to, to capture some of the value that's created in our borough, to invest in our community. But I, you know, what I've always felt is that actually through our convening power um, as a council, you, you can do a huge amount through the planning processes that we, that we already have. Um, but you know, I think that we are sitting on the cusp. We are in danger, if we continue as we are, of hollowing out the, the centre of London. And what I think makes our city great has been our mixed, diverse communities. It's what has made Camden that radical, rebellious um, place. And I think if we don't all step up and, and work together to, to change that, um, we'll see it uh, fall apart very quickly. Thank you. Thank you, Georgia. Just to take that last point about hollowing out, you know, cities like Johannesburg have a, they're referred to as donut cities because there's an empty hole. You know, that's obviously the worst case scenario. But your statistic, which you just threw in there, 
about Camden having less children was, was quite, quite a It's powerful. not just Camden, it's every single central right. London borough right. seeing it. Yeah, that, that's quite like a... Heart, a heart, uh, birth rate is, yeah. is yeah. heart. So I don't think there's been enough attention on it, to be honest. So let, let's just go back, Amakat, if we may, to the, the shaping London discussion. So we, we, we heard here two scenarios which have similarities but some differences, I mean, partly because of where they are, and I think that, that's important. I think you're both saying this level of growth is good if you harness it properly um, at many levels. But Amica, from an architectural point of view, this is mm -hmm. where um, you know, I'm interested in your spatial eye. You know, London has a sort of physiognomy, the urban villages, every neighborhood is a little bit different, a bit quirky and everything else. Um, and the debate out there is all this development is too much. That, that is a view. I mean, I think we went out there. What's your sense of that? What are we getting right? What are we getting wrong? Um, I actually just wanted to start really briefly before I respond to you, Ricky, just by saying... Um, Speak a little bit louder, I think. Oh, right, sorry. Yeah. Uh, just Close by saying um, how extraordinary it was listening to both of you speak, both in terms of, like, the way that you're framing um, your social responsibility and also the kind of what feels like a very honest way that you're dealing with this challenge of speed and scale and the level of pressure that's being put on boroughs. Because I think at the moment particularly from an architectural point of view, there isn't a huge amount of general acknowledgement how exceptional the moment that we, in are, that we are in is in terms of how much housing and development we're trying to accommodate in such a short space of time. Um, so, yeah, it was really great to hear that. And it leads me really directly onto your question, Ricky, which I think is... Um, I think it's always there's always a bit of a challenge when you approach something architecturally and as a designer, because you're always balancing off the very immediate needs of the community you're dealing with now and what they say they want, and then the long-term life of the city and the neighborhood. Um, and sometimes those things are actually in conflict, like the people who live in a place now are not always the best people um, to ask about how to accommodate the kind of life they live now and the way it might change over the next several generations. So really, I guess, um, the question is, how do we start to um, learn from London as it is, from its variety, from its density, from the granularity of it, from the fact that it's been developed by... There's lots of conflicting ideas which are overlapping, which are contesting each other, um, and learn how they've produced all these things that you're talking about in terms of the diversity of the communities you're working with, the richness of, the, of their lives, and try and apply that learning um, in this kind of almost historically exceptional situation where we're having to build for a lot of people very quickly. I think it's very easy, whether as a policy person or as an architect, to kind of fall for the like idea that density is always good, that putting lots of people in a place is always good. But I think it's important to go back to the reason that we think that, and that's because historically density has enabled the aggregation of social life, the aggregation of civic services. It's made life, shared life, possible. So the question we have to ask when we look at these new forms of density that are happening all around London, including in some, of your, some places in your boroughs, is to what extent are the way that we're creating them and the bits of city they're creating actually continuing to enable that and to allow that to be the test as much as affordability, as much as variety in housing stock. Um, and the reason that test becomes really critical is that um, 
building very densely is generally very brittle, whereas the things that we're celebrating about both of these boroughs is to do with their plasticity, the fact that um, there may be uh, plastic at the scale of a building, but also the aggregation of that is plasticity over the scale of a neighbourhood. Um, so there's a few things. A few things is to, is to really think about the way... I'd like to talk about is really thinking about the way that... Um, uh, we can en enable or build for, th for the kinds of lives that we don't yet know exist mm. <laughs> that are going to um, emerge over time in the way that so many parts of London have so ably handled that over time. Um, and also to take this kick-off point where you've started talking about bringing more people around the table in a design process, which I think is... It's really fantastic to hear from a council leader talking about bringing young people in, but to say how do we reach past participation um, and uh, ask a design-led question, which is what what can we um, what do we how do we formulate our long-term responsibilities beyond the needs and the questions that people right now are asking us, and particularly how do we do that? in a situation where those needs are very pressing and very real and we have an ethical responsibility to, to meet them. And I think really that's where, um, that's where I hope architecture as a profession comes in or where it should come in. Mm. And I'm not saying that as a profession we're necessarily dealing with that question very well. Um, but in a sense, I think that's also the question that as council leaders you should be putting back to us as, as an industry. Um, should we take Yeah, it feels like enough to get going. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, I, I just want to go back on a bit about uh, community involvement. Oh, sorry, apologies. Uh, about c community involvement. Uh, and if, if people don't feel as if they have a stake, right, that, 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 that their voice hasn't been heard, right, I think we will struggle uh, to, to get that things into. We'll, uh, we'll, get, we'll struggle to get anything because we were talking earlier uh, upstairs, weren't we, right, about how, how can we. Um, make sure we're, we're getting the outcomes uh, that, that people need. And, and if, you, if you take a look at what we've done in Wembley, um, um, around Wembley Park, right, the conversations were, right, we must, it must involve the community. Right, it, it must be a place, right, and, and, and it must del deliver right, for, for everyone. Right, right. It, not just for the people who live within that estate. Right, mm -hmm. it has to be open. Right, people must be able to traverse and uh, and use those uh, uh, facilities that are being provided. If you, if you if you don't let people be part of, part of that progress, right, people uh, if people feel they're being left behind, right, regardless of what I want, regardless of what, what Georgia wants, regardless of what uh, what you guys are, as planners are looking for, we. we, we we will come across obstacles, and, and, and for me, it's, it, it has to be that engagement. And Do you think it's working? I mean, in the, uh, to, so just to play devil's advocate, yeah. could someone who lives around some of these big developments, not just one department, actually say that's just, it's just words. In the end, it does feel different. But I think Amica's point was an interesting one, yeah. which was, well, that's, in the, that's how <coughs> cities which churn and change, like London, need to have that to a degree, and there are moments of disruption, Georgia. Mm. Well, I just wanted to go back to the question about growth, because I, mm. I don't think, 
I was saying that growth is always good. I think that, that we need to understand why there's been a backlash against development yeah. in a lot of our communities, and there has been. And I think fundamentally because a lot of development is building the wrong kind of houses in the view, well, in my view, but also the view of our community. So the average house price in Cramden is now £820,000. Pretty unaffordable uh, when our average wage is, is around the same as yours. And we won't there will not be consent for development until we are building enough uh, genuinely affordable homes, so council housing and that kind of intermediate housing I was talking about. And that won't happen until there is grant funding to support it. And I think that's the fundamental problem, because people, I, I find, in our communities aren't against development. They're against development that isn't building homes for their families and their communities and doesn't do all the things that you talked about, which is the, the design of green space and schools, which pushes up the, the, the cost of that development. And, it, and it's how we develop in Camden, and you, you have real mechanisms to, to check if that's what you want. So we're having, you know, I talked about an estate, uh, an estate ballot, which is, you know, a huge thing where people are voting on whether or not to tear down their homes and build something new. So it's, a, you know, that, that's a, a huge question of consent, and it has to be real if people are going to vote for for that and you have to have commitments that, that people trust and, and change things mm -hmm. but I do think this lack of council housing this lack of uh, genuinely affordable housing is the fundamental issue because people would yeah. would have more development if it if it they thought you know their kids or people could one, one live of in the it. one of the places or spaces where this tension becomes even more uh, real tangible is in existing housing estates built in the post-war era broadly yeah. speaking and of course, you in the south part of the borough, particularly uh, south, well, near the other boroughs, should we say, uh, there are very problematic estates. I think in Camden, you're intensifying the building more stuff, uh, houses within and close to um, existing um, estates. Now, is that something that Amica, we, the designers, have the skills to deal with that juxtaposition? Um, and we know that there's a sense of you know, displacement, that people are moved out and they never come back. Is that something you can manage? Just, I mean, we would never, we build it in stages, so nobody moves out, so people move directly into their yeah, new thing before important. they have to leave. So there's ways yeah. of doing that, which doesn't, which doesn't allow displacement. I, th I, th I think the, the, the point, I, I mean, the point that George is making, right, is, is when, you, when you take a look at regeneration on that scale of estates, uh, you, you do need to do it with consent, and and, the, and also uh, um, the, the issue also is about, is about affordability of people going into uh, new flats uh, uh, and uh, new homes. Uh, uh, they want to know, they want to have the certainty right, what they're paying now uh, is going to be roughly in line with what they will be paying for the new bit as well. Uh, and 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 giving them the certainty and clarity, right? That you, you know, you're only going to move them once, right? Because if you, yeah. right, because if if you if you if you start moving individuals, uh, who who have been living in in those estates 15, 20, 30, 40 years, uh, and then you're saying to them, right? Uh, well, we'll move you into temporary accommodation for three years into this block, right? And then we're, we're going to knock, knock knock that one down. Then we'll move you into this one for for the next five years, right? You, you are absolutely absolutely destroying their lives, destroying the lives of the, uh, and the futures of, of those young people as well. Yeah. Uh, so so we, we do need to find solutions that work for, for those individuals and for those families, for the, for the young people, and that's why I keep on coming back to the young people. Uh, if, um, 
when young people's lives are disrupted, right, their schooling, their education, their, their networks, right, their, their ability to make friends, right, the, their futures are then impacted right, for, forever. Right? So, so, uh, so in Brent, uh, we're talking about South Kilburn, we, we, we've given that commitment to, about moving people once and given them that, that certainty, that clarity. Uh, and the point about school places, uh, 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 we just um, uh, looked at the, the numbers again, and, uh, and we now have nearly 900 empty school places. Uh, we are now going to have to take a look at right, uh, having conversations with some of our schools. Right? Do we actually need all our primary schools now as well? Just yeah. a comment. Yeah, no, I, th I think the, the, the key thing that I, I was thinking about while you're talking. Um, Partly it's about how difficult the challenge is when you're talking about the level of need and the speed at which you're having to meet it. But I guess the real question is, in that situation of relative scarcity of um, money, of, of the kind of policy that you want, of, um, of opportunity, how do we bring what has started to feel like a quite luxury conversation about what kind of lives the new places that we build produce beyond just the range of housing stock? How do we make space for that conversation around the table again? Um, and I think it, it can, feel, um, can feel a little bit luxurious, but I think there's a really interesting question, which is around, are we building past the needs of the people who are going to move into the houses next and uh, able to see um, in a horizontal way, because you were talking about how a new development affects the area outside of its boundaries, um, how we can think about that in a more extended way, how we extend into the future and how we also extend sideways. Because um, I think otherwise we create a situation where in 50 years' time there's another group of people having the same conversation. It will always be on the table. But I, um, I, I think that um, the capacity of design to start to enable there to be space in people's lives, for there to be variety in their lives, to create bits of city that enable smaller groups of people as well as bigger groups of people yeah. to actually have resilience and autonomy um, are, are the longer term ways that we start answering these needs. So I guess that's the question. How do we get past the 10-year horizon to the... Georgia, hold that. Well, we'll hold that for a moment. Maybe we use that as final yeah. uh, uh, comments. So I'd like to see a few hands uh, in questions from the floor, if possible, um, and um, keep your statements short. Uh, can we start with the lady over there, please? Can we wait for the microphone. And then where is the... All oh, right. See some more hands. Then over there. I think we'll come to you. Do you mind standing up so everyone is that, and tell us who you are? Yay. <laughs> <laughs> this is when you find out if what I'm saying is true. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm aware of what you're saying about school places. We can't. Can you speak? Put it a bit closer. I don't think it's working. Is it working? No. Do you want to come and use this one? Maybe bring the other one in? No? Can, can we bring that one? Oh, that's it. Right. Okay. Try again. Okay. Can you hear me now? Okay. So I'm aware in Camden that um, there are schools that ha have lots of vacancies and also that some of the children's centres are being, are being changed, shape-shifted somewhat. Mm -hmm. um, 
And um, you, you were talking about levers, and I was just curious, it, one of the le- are, are some levers available to you to do something about Airbnb? Because I think in Camden, that is actually not really helping the situation that there's a lot of overcrowding, people who can't afford to find a home near where they have grown up. Um, and it's okay. probably one of those things that potentially, that if, if you could do something about that, it would take slightly the edge off, I suspect. Absolutely. Let's gather a few questions and come back to them. Over there, thank you. Good evening. Uh, Councillor Erica Lewis, Leader of Lancaster City Council. Um, Great to hear both of you talk about participation and Amica asked the great question, how do we go beyond participation? Citizens' assemblies are one way of that, but I'm interested in how you're going going beyond participation into making sure that people have a real sense that they're helping shape decisions. Thank you. A gentleman with an orange jacket, make sure we notice you. Then right here at the front. Hi, Simon Bishop, uh, UCL alumni. Um, I just wanted to ask you, you didn't um, actually mention the issue of climate change, and I just wondered if you could, is that still an issue, um, and is it something that we, how you're dealing with that in terms of being net zero and reconciling it with growth? And the other thing that would be good to touch upon as well is the elderly population, Mm -hmm. because the elderly are growing in number, and I think deprivation for elderly in London is, is, is very severe. So if you could talk about that, thanks. I think just one, one point on the climate change. We haven't really talked about London-wide governance, but the mere decision of the London plan not to extend London to the green belt but to densify is already a statement, which we'll hear probably more about in a moment from the mm-hmm. gentleman here. Say who you are. Hello. Uh, Phil Graham. I'm the uh, executive director for Good Growth at the GLA. Um, I'd, I'd like to pose a question about the fact that you, you've, you've talked a lot about the fact that lots of growth is happening and how do we spread the benefits of that growth? How do we make it sustainable? How do we make it inclusive? I worry that as the impacts of Brexit bite, as funding from central government moves is directed more towards other parts of the country, a narrative might build up that says actually good growth is a luxury we, know can, we can no longer afford any growth is what we need and I'm interested in what your answer to that is and sort of, you know, sort of slightly more pithily, what's the counter argument to Singapore on Thames? Let's see whether there's one, one, one more question than um, from the lady over there in the white jacket. Put your hand up so yeah, microphone come. Thanks. Uh, hi, I'm Arushi. I'm a master's student at the LSC. And my question is about the King's Cross redevelopment, which is one of the most celebrated examples of regeneration in the city of London. And as you mentioned, it's an upcoming knowledge center with Google and Facebook coming in, and it also houses uh, universities and other knowledge centers. But, and if you uh, walk through King's Cross, you realize that that redevelopment speaks to a certain energy and it speaks to a certain kind of population that attracts the, the young energy and young professionals. And so my question is, was that, and, and it also houses like a lot of single family homes and studio apartments as opposed to family residences. So my question is, was this a conscious choice to attract uh, this, uh, to cater to a certain kind of population? Thank you very much. I think because we only have a few minutes left, can you pick a theme? And, uh, <laughs> and uh, make that also sort of not your concluding remarks, but your deep remarks. Mo, do you want to start? Um, 
Uh, I want to pick up on the, on the, on the new, new growth element, actually, right? and w whether or not Brexit is going to have an impact. Uh, personally, I don't think it will. I'll tell you for why. I, uh, I've got 17,500 people on my housing waiting list who are absolutely desperate for a home, waiting for, for that home now. I have 2,500 people in bed and breakfast and temporary accommodation. Uh, and uh, uh, for me, uh, uh, that, that demand is going to remain there. Right? Uh, and I need to find those solutions uh, uh, to, from, to make sure we're, we're building the homes that people need as well. Uh, I mean, the point about King's Cross, if it's for certain demographics, right, honestly, I would say come to Wembley. Right, right, because, honestly, it is about building and de delivering the homes that people actually need. Right? Uh, uh, but it comes uh, and it comes back to the space element as well, and uh, and and, uh, and what you, what you are creating. Right? Um, if if you create those one and two bedroom uh, apartments, you are actually going out for a certain demographic, certain type of individual, uh, uh, and it's not going to. Uh, and, and and the rents and the and the locations actually uh, are, are going to be the, the, those issues as well. Uh, you know, you know, for, for me, it's it, 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 it is working with the levers we have. The levers are right. The, the council, right? The, the the opportunities that we can, we, we, can, we create through our planning uh, uh, um, uh, well, policy and guidance, uh, working with the GLA, right, in order to make sure that they give us the grants to, uh, to actually build those homes as well, right, right, right. I'll be phoning you in the morning. <laughs> right. He's but, saying but he needs to get it from government. <laughs> Amica, just a quick, did, yeah. did you want to comment before I pass on to Georgia on the participation? Or? Um, not, not specifically, I think... Okay. Um, yeah, sorry, Karen. Okay, Georgia. What would you well, I was just going to pick up on the climate crisis. I was going to say that in answer to your challenge earlier, is what, how do we get the imagination? And I think we, we, we ran a citizens' assembly on the climate crisis, and we opened a participation space uh, where we kind of co-designed taking forward the recommendations. And that became a space for kind of collective imagining. And I think we don't do enough of that um, in in our policy making is, is really um, thinking how we could do things completely differently. And I think in, we will need to have sustainable development and think really differently about how we use space, which will, does open up some of you know, the, the green space and, and the different, different use of, of the resources we have. Um, and I think that that is um, a massive opportunity um, to, to bring citizens in to kind of really transform how we, how we live. And, and it goes to your question about this whole of growth. I mean, I think that if we don't, if we let all these young people in Camden, you know, feel alienated, feel that the only way for them to, to, to find money and, and um, hope for their future is through an aggressive drugs market, then not only are we losing lives, but we're losing all this talent and creativity. And actually, they, you know, we can't have these massive institutions, economic institutions, having been completely monocultural. We, we won't develop uh, as a country. So I think you know, there's, a, there's a moral argument, but then there's also a skills argument. And, and fundamentally, I think we need to be a lot better at making the case for London, because we are creating, and I know the mayor is brilliant at that, um, but we are creating a lot of economic value that is redistributed, which is right. But some of that value has to go back into our communities because there is deep poverty on our doorstep. On that note, I think, unfortunately, we have to draw this to a close. I mean, I'm reminded that, you know, this concept of shaping London has two very clear dimensions. One is the physical, what actually happens to it as it grows and accommodates more growth and more people. But secondly, shaping it in terms of decisions. And I think we've heard today from two people who really understand the nitty-gritty and the difficulty of doing 
what needs to be done to accommodate growth better. Thank you very much to Mo, Jordan. <laughs>